Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many things you bless us with and the awesome opportunity you give us to be able to study your word. Help us to understand it, apply it in the right way, and draw close to you, build our faith and trust in you and in your word throughout the process. Thank you oh so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series in the book of Romans. Pick it up here in Romans chapter 7. Reads, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that ye that we should bring forth fruit unto God. He's given a comparison here about a marriage that because when we connect ourselves, when we are reconciled to God, it is like a marriage, and then we are to be faithful to that union and not to go outside of that union, not to be an adulteress in the spiritual sense of being reconnected or realigned with Satan or anything other than God. As he continues, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Now, being in the flesh is speaking of prior to being born again. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Because now we are in the spirit. Now we are born, we are quickened, brought back to life by the power of God, spiritually, spiritually no longer bound by that law. But the law still gives us some guidelines to help us understand what we are supposed to do and not do. As it continues, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, brought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. A complicated way of saying that he was bound by sin, just as we understand that if you are a, a lost individual, a person of the flesh rather than of the spirit, 
you are a servant to Satan, bound to Satan and to that sin. But when you are mortified, killed off, dead to the sin, to the flesh, and quickened, brought back to life by the power of God, you become a new creature in Christ, no longer bound by all that sin of the past and that link to Satan. Verse 13, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. It's interesting how Paul, the one who wrote the book of Romans, is pointing this out to himself, putting himself in this, not just trying to project it into somebody else or suggest somebody else has gone through this. He has gone through this. He's thinking back and looking back at the sinful life that he once lived. For that which I do, I allow not. Now he's getting into an interesting point where he's bringing out, even though he is now a born-again Christian, separated from the sin, separated from the flesh, spiritually alive, there is still a tug of war between the flesh and the spirit. And he's speaking of his experiences himself, the things that he would do, the things he would rather do, sometimes he's finding himself not doing. And the things that he would not want to do, sometimes he finds himself doing those things. And some of those could be considered sins, as he says. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that, I, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Talking about that tug of war inside the flesh and the spirit. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. See, of ourselves, without the influence of God in us, we're just going to be evil all the time. We see this in those that don't have a relationship with the Lord. They are seeking, always conscious of opportunities to sin. When they come their way, they eagerly enter into that sinful behavior. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. In verse 19, it it's, makes it a little clearer the dilemma he finds himself in. That we all find ourselves in, I should say. Because there are things that we know we should do that sometimes we don't do. We just hold back. And then there are things we know we should not do that we still go ahead and do. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That battle, that constant battle. It's been presented in a humorous way in cartoons sometimes. You see a cartoon character and 
He'll be about to do something and you'll see a little devil pop up on one shoulder and an angel pop up on another shoulder. And they're kind of arguing back and forth trying to get him to do something good or something bad. And who's going to win that tug of war? Are you going to listen to the good side or to the bad side? For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one that's going to deliver us from that. He can pull us out of that. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Still dealing with that tug of war. But it's wonderful that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, pleading our case. It's awesome that he has indwelt us with the Holy Ghost. That if we lean to the Spirit side, if we hold on to the Spirit side, if we mortify or kill off or separate ourselves from the flesh side, then we can do the will of the Lord. We can do right instead of wrong. By His power, by His might, by His guidance. Because deep within all of us is that battle, that war between good and evil. All right, we're running into chapter 8. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. This condemnation he's speaking of is eternal hell. Eternal existence in the lake of fire. That condemnation. There is no more of that in the future of a born-again Christian. Because... We have become born again. We are separated from that. We are no longer condemned. There is no more condemnation. We have life. We have reconciliation. We are united with God. And not bound by the law no more. The law is there to help us, to help give us an understanding of what the will of the Lord is. But also the indwelling Spirit of the Holy Ghost is there teaching us. And showing us what the will of the Lord is. So we have two references to go by. Listening to the Holy Ghost, which is primary. And then studying what He has preserved for us, His law. To help us know what is right, what is wrong. To clearly help us understand it and know it. When we have some questions, we can turn to His law and see some clarity in that. But primarily, listen up to the Holy Ghost. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Because when you become born again, you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We then need to stay united with the Spirit, separated from the flesh. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Brought out of that. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, if the law was enough, Jesus would never have had to come down and, and die for us. He could have just kept things going in the old covenant. But it wasn't enough. 
it wasn't enough to pardon people of their sins. Trust in God, faith in God was accounted to them for righteousness, not their obedience or disobedience to the law. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in one flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. What is your desire? What are your goals? Is your goal to satisfy the flesh or to satisfy the spirit? Those that are truly born again and have a relationship with the Lord are are those that care for the spirit, that look to the spirit, that want to be in the spirit, not in the flesh. For to be carnally minded or of the flesh is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When we stay spiritually minded, we have that peace that passeth all understanding. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, is an enemy to God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Those that are not born again cannot please God. They have to be born again, become part of the family before they can please God. Their works will not save them. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you're either a born again Christian filled with Holy Ghost, or you are an outsider not of God, you are lost, an enemy of God, as it says. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That's a wonderful verse there, letting us know that by the evidence of the risen Jesus Christ, we also will rise from the dead and be given a glorified body. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Kill it off. Separate from it. Separate from the sin. Separate from the flesh, the desires of the flesh. And become spiritually minded. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's a very clear and simple verse. That if you are truly led by the Holy Ghost, then you are clearly one of the family of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 
That's a wonderful verse there. That we have now a relationship with the Heavenly Father that is so close and personal that we can use that term of endearment, which is Abba, which would be translated like Daddy or Papa. That you have that which was never available prior to the finished work of Jesus Christ since the fall of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had that, but they lost that when they sinned. And then ever since and all through, even those that were accounted righteous for their trust in the Lord still did not have this kind of relationship that we now have because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That Holy Ghost in us, that communion, that constant communication that we have with that Spirit in us, speaking to our born-again spirit that is alive now. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. We know that we have a new heaven, a new earth to look forward to. And that the Lord is going to give us all things. All things are going to be brand new. And we are going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ in the ownership of all the wondrous things we have to look forward to for eternity. But he also points out here that we saw through the histories that we have studied how Jesus Christ had to suffer. And it's only... Obvious that if we are united with him, follow him, become Christians, that there are things that we're going to suffer as well. Because we have connected with him, Satan wants to destroy us. Verse 17 again. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified, be also glorified together for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All the sufferings, even the horrible, torturous treatment that many have had to endure and suffer, are nothing compared to the glory that they're going to be able to enjoy later. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Like, we have within us this desire to be in that glorified body, to be with the Lord, to be revealed to us that full relationship that we can have with the Lord for eternity. We're looking forward to that, earnestly awaiting that. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath Subjected the same in hope. This vanity fleeting away. We know we're in a body that's decaying and withering away and it's temporal. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This is speaking of becoming a new creature in a glorified body. Not only spiritually, but also to be able to have a glorified body. That corruption he's talking about is the decay and rot of a temporal body. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 
and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Getting that glorified body again. Speaking of that, and having that close personal relationship to where we can walk hand in hand with the Lord in the new creation. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doeth he yet hope for? Understand that the definition of hope, which is that confident expectation and anticipation of the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises of God. When you have that, you're looking forward to something that you have not yet attached to or have or can see and touch, but you are confident you are going to have. And we are confident that we are going to have a glorified body, that we are going to be with the Lord for eternity. We will be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We will be glorified. Verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That's a tough one there, to patiently await for the revelation of all this. Patiently awaiting. But he tells us up there in verse 22 that we groaneth, all of creation groaning for the, the new instead of the old. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. And this is awesome, that the Holy Ghost is within us, helping us, continuously helping us and praying for us. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is such a wonderful verse to know that the Holy Ghost is within us, praying for us, continuously praying for us in the will of the Lord. Not just that He is praying for us, but He's praying for us right He's praying for us correctly, even though we ourselves don't always know exactly how we should pray or what we should pray for, but the Holy Ghost is in there doing it right. Read 26 again. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Sometimes we pray for stuff that's outside of the will of the Lord, but the Holy Ghost is in there doing it right all the time, so we can relax and rejoice in that. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That doesn't mean everything is going to be wondrous and beautiful and, and easy now. But we know that all things work together for good. Not that all things are good, but they work for good. Some of the sufferings that we go through, some of the persecutions, some of the torturous treatments people have gone through, they're not good, but they work for a good. We will be glorified. It will be... A, Looked at in judgment, it will be accountability. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to, the, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the first fruit among, my, among many brethren. It's that He has established 
predetermined, established a place for us in his family, a life for us, eternal life for us, a plan all laid out, predestinated, predetermined. This doesn't mean that it is forced upon us. It doesn't mean that everybody that's a born-again Christian is because it was predetermined that they would be, and those that are not, it was predetermined that they would not be. Because some people have taken this out of context and understand it completely wrong. This predestinated applies to there is a plan. There is a thing available for us to do. There is a plan which is the will of the Lord. But He is not going to force that upon us. It is available for us to enter into that predetermined place at His side for eternity. If we so accept it. For whom He did foreknow, He knew ahead of time all of us, because He knows everything, past, present, and future. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. It's already predetermined that He wanted everybody to be in the image of His Son. That He might be the first fruit among many brethren. The first fruit. The first to be receiving that glorified body. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? When we truly understand that, we can be fearless. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus Christ is the judge. We cannot be judged or condemned by anyone else or anything else. It is only for the Lord. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we have our confidence in our relationship as a family member of God. Nothing can separate that. Once that reconciliation has occurred, that is permanent. No matter what the devil throws your way, no matter what you encounter in the world, no matter what your mistakes might be after you trust in the Lord, if you backslide, if you stumble, if you kill yourself, it doesn't matter. You're still part of the family. 
There's a belief in some of the religions that if you kill yourself, that's a sin. It's a sin unto death. Therefore, you're separated from God for eternity. You're going to go to hell. No. Now, don't take this the wrong way and everybody run out and start killing themselves thinking, well, i got a free pass. Well, you're going to lose so much rewards because you did that. You didn't trust in the Lord. So you never want to do anything willfully that is against the will of the Lord. Killing ourselves would be one of those things against the will of the Lord. But even if we do, just like he tells us over there about how our works will be judged, they will be tried by fire. Some of them are going to burn up because they were done for selfishness or they were done for sinful, lustful desires to be fulfilled. That's going to be burned up and gone. Lost rewards. Lost potential for gaining of rewards. But the things that are, are correct, the gold, silver, and precious stones are going to endure the test of fire and be given to us for eternity. We are sealed to God. We are a part of the family of God. Even if we become disobedient, we still are part of the family of God. He tells us the wrath of God will come upon the children of disobedience. Yes, He's going to punish you. You're going to be held accountable if you become disobedient child of God. You're going to lose rewards. You're going to be suffering in this time. and You're going to lose opportunities in the, in the millennial period and for eternity if you become a disobedient child. But you're still a child. And that's what he's speaking of here. Nothing can separate us from the Lord. Once we are truly con connected to the Lord, reconciled, even our own disobedience cannot separate us from that relationship. Read 39 again. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to God when we trust and believe in that and accept that and are adopted. Adopted into the family of God, always to be a part of the family of God. So keep it right. Listen to the direction of the Holy Ghost and always bring honor and glory to the Lord so that you can have the full reward come Judgment Day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the things you've given us and the awesome opportunity to be able to get into your word. Help us to be able to apply it in the right way and always stay on the spiritual side, not on the flesh side. Help all of us in that tug of war that Paul is telling us about here that we all seem to face, that we keep it on the right side. Thank you oh so much for it as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.